the energy that we were supposed to try to put out was non-judgments and recognizing our own flaws before anybody else's flaws and working from within instead of seeking for everything on the outside. You notice how Jesus never went to the clergyman for advice or information. Yeah. He was always asking questions. Answering questions with questions. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the vipers and, and serpents one. Oh my goodness. Yes. White sepulchers and all that. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, he, what did he say? He said they were um, empty white sepulchers, pretty on the outside, dead people on the inside. Hello and welcome to Grown Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam, and Casey is uh, coming to us bright and early from, what, one of the Dakotas? Yeah, the south one. Yeah, I can't remember. Like, you're kind of the same, right? I mean, what's the difference between North and South Dakota? Well, there's a lot of differences, for no. sure. They are geographically no. close to each other. Yeah, but they're different. I mean, the same. <laughs> They're like fairly different. It's just north and south. I mean, there's not a huge difference. No. Uh, what's in, you're in South Dakota. What's in South Dakota that's cool? Uh, so like we're on the western side, which is where the Black Hills are. So okay. Mount Rushmore and all that. But the, uh, oh, yeah. it's kind of like a mini version of the Rockies. And okay. it's really pretty. Just, just a cool place to hang out and run around and stuff. I've always wanted it. Like April and I've been here before together, but like we've never really gotten to do our own thing. So uh, it's been on the list for a while. We were like, man, well, let's go. We decided like like five days ago that this is where we were coming. So nice, yeah. Okay, so that's where you were. I think I saw a bunch of the pictures of the mountains and like ranges that you had posted in your Instagram. Is that what? Is that where you were? Is that what's in your story? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does look a lot. Like, wait, you said it's like a mini version of what? Like, like of the, the of the Rockies, like yeah. Colorado and stuff like okay. that. It looked beautiful. And you found a bunch of wildlife there, which is kind of cool. Yeah, there's some there's been some interesting things, too. Like uh, last night we went to a Thai place in Rapid City. Oh, yeah. And we, we pull up to this place and there's only one parking spot left. It's pretty busy. And there's this guy. He's like a middle aged dude very sweaty, very nervous looking. And he's just like pacing up and down the street. I mean, definitely high on something. I don't know what, but uh, <laughs> there's there's chemicals involved for sure. And so like he paces over to uh, this car that's parked on the side of the road. It's like one of those 90s escort wagons. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's like a, an anomaly that that thing is still running and functioning. And I guess, I did, well, <laughs> it is running because he did leave in it later, but, uh, he, crawls in? Back, <laughs> he just wasn't, it just wasn't there when I got out unless he pushed it, which he might, he looked like he had the <laughs> energy for it. But, uh, across the back window, it says January 6th insurrectionist bring it. Oh, that's fun. 
That's like <laughs> asking to get pulled over, isn't it? Unless not in South Dakota. Maybe it's like nobody Maybe really cares. Maybe not in South Dakota. Yeah, no, there's been a few things like that where like, wow, that's uh, that's blatant right out in the open. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude. To put that on the back, I mean, that screen, uh, to me, that screen, well, maybe not, isn't it? Maybe, uh, I was going to say it would screen that he has, like, something illicit in his car. I mean, it seemed like you said, uh, based on his behavior, there is something illicit possibly going on there. Um, it sure seems like there could be. Perhaps carrying and uh, being high on something at the same time doesn't uh, go hand in hand with the law, but. <laughs> yeah. Do we, well, and then, like, we're we're in this little town up in the black Hills and there's like a health food store. And so, you know, you think most places pretty much anywhere, if you see a health food store, you, I, I don't know. I always assume that like, oh, okay, well there's at least one liberal dude in, in this town. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we're walking along in front of it and it's got this sign. You went in to buy some window. kale chips. Yeah, Exactly. There's a sign in the window, and I'm trying to read it, but he says, I will not be masked, tested, tracked, poisoned, or chipped to support this. Uh... Ah, man, I can't read some of it because of the glare. <laughs> this is not my new normal hashtag. I do not consent. Oh, I mean, in the he brought consent into it. That's a bold move. I mean, that's certainly has to deter some people, right? Maybe yeah. not. Well, it's like a tourist place. So you would think that you're probably isolating a portion of your customers. But I guess if that's your entire personality, maybe it's more important to you than a successful business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or they think that that's going to help them run a successful business. Like take, standing their ground is, you know, a badge of honor and in their world i'm sure <laughs> yeah maybe so well here's your badge yeah you got it <laughs> you got your merit badge you can sew it onto your little vest cute little vest social distancing is over but i'm still giving you plenty of personal space i just like that they put it out there very clearly that they think that um that getting the vaccine is microchipping them like like that's it. I get that that's a conspiracy theory. Uh, I feel like that one's mostly blown over. Uh, even the people I know who aren't getting it for particular reasons um, that are related to their political ideologies or maybe their beliefs around the end times uh, are are st- they kind of moved on from the there's a microchip in there thing. So and I like that that person's holding been- strong to that one. Maybe everyone that's been chipped has had their uh, memory of that conspiracy theory wiped. Did that's you know true. That? Uh, Dude, I, I just want to know if like this is a real health food store. If we go in there and it's all like Infowars supplements, yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> super male vitality tablets and colloidal silver. <laughs> I can see that a place like that maybe uh, selling some crystals too. I don't know. Yeah, that could. Uh, it seems like it would go hand in hand. For sure, <laughs> anti-vaxxing is um uh, is like kind of in the middle. When you look at like the uh, maybe the extreme left and the extreme right, there's like a good bit of overlap in the middle just on anti-vaxxing. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. That's actually been the subject of a few different articles I've read, and it's 
it's kind of funny actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there's at least I, I, what it really shows you uh, is that no matter what your differences are, there's at least one thing in all of our lives we can get along in, right? Just we can really yeah. see eye to eye. So you to me, what? it's Just... beautiful, and we should all be thankful for those people. Exactly. Yes, this is a wonderful moment, a wonderful uh, healing moment at the health food store in the mountains. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I okay, so. I'll, I'm going to do a little shift just because I think this is funny. And my son is like, is obsessed with ants. Um, we have ants in my house, which is really terrible and super annoying. Like little ones, not like these big, big ass, like carpenter ants, but like tiny, tiny. He calls them sugar ants. I don't know if that's what they're actually called, but I'm sure he sees them like poking around his candy or something like that. And maybe that's why he calls them that, but. When he finds them, he gets excited and he picks them up and he puts them on his arm and he goes, I want to make it my pet. And to him, making it his pet means letting it crawl all the way up his arm into his sleeve, like into his shirt. And then he goes to bed. He just wants to let the ant go up there before he goes to bed. So that's <laughs> weird, right? <laughs> that seems strange. I don't know why he got into doing that, but, or why making it his pet was that like, I wanted to be my pet. And then like, sometimes he would just try to hold on to it and like bring it into his room. But he got into this thing where he'd just put it on his arms, hold them up and wait for it to crawl up his sleeve. And then he'd be like, ready to go to bed. <laughs> He's a goofy kid. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Actually. Cause I was always, I hated, I mean, any, anything bug related i was just not into that as a kid like i wasn't like a big bug hunter uh like you know that feeling when beetles stick to you like they yeah. stick to your fingers and stuff oh my god that feeling made me would make me like i'd get like i would like activate my disgust mechanisms right where you like you know when you <laughs> shudder that feeling where you shudder and you're like and you like kind of shake a little bit like that i yeah. hate that feeling i still hate it if i get i probably would still act like a six-year-old boy if i found like if there's a beetle crawling up my hand and i felt the little sticky pull of its legs i would probably freak out <laughs> it's a strong reaction yeah i hate it so much the other feeling that really like since i was a kid i can't handle is um if you would catch like a locust or like a grasshopper even a frog, like a tiny little frog, and you would cup it in your hands, and then you would feel it jump. Oh, my God. I, I would just scream and throw my hands up. I hate the feeling of it just, like, thumping into your hand. It bothered me so much. I feel like I, I caught a lot of grasshoppers. The only thing I didn't like about grasshoppers is when they, like, hack a loogie on you. Whoa, yeah, I've okay. never seen that. Oh, they got, like, that brown spit that they, like, spit on you when you, really? when you pick them up. Yeah, I was always like the all. I caught all sorts of stuff as a kid, but like the ultimate goal all the time was to try to catch lizards. Oh yeah, so like, snakes too. Lizard. Yes, we they, had. We didn't like have a lot of lizards. We snakes. Had, oh sorry, we we didn't have a lot of lizards. We had um like little salamanders. I guess that's a lizard, right? But it's they're like a couple inches long. Those are harder to find too. Those weren't super. I feel like those weren't super hard around here. They're just under rocks. Like you just pick up big rocks, and you generally find a good 
find them fairly frequently. Um, snakes are much, were much harder to find. I, I, I didn't find a ton of snakes. I remember being brave enough to pick them up though. Like you would just find a snake in the wild and you grab it. Now, if I see a snake in the wild, I won't go any, I'll just be like, if I, around here, we don't have poisonous snakes. So I'm not worried about like getting poisoned. Uh, but I still, I, I get that same reaction. Like if I was at a, uh, like a zoo of some sort, um, or an event where someone's like has snakes that you can hold a handle that wouldn't freak me out because those are kind of used to it. And you, that to me, that's not weird. I've done that. But when I, the idea of just picking up a wild snake, which I would do as a kid is not even on my radar anymore. <laughs> I feel like I pick up snakes pretty often just cause like I'll find them when I'm weed whacking or mowing or something. Then I, I try not to mulch them. So I'll pick them yeah. up and put them in the woods. <laughs> very kind of you we don't really have poisonous snakes around us either but see when i was a kid i didn't mess with snakes because we did because i lived in georgia and they had rattlesnakes and copperheads and water and so like you you gave snakes so wide girth you know oh yeah whatever yeah wide girth you it's i know wide girth is always in the back of your mind (laughs) right but yeah that was always fun though i I don't know. I, I did a lot of catching stuff when I was a kid. I feel like I still do. Like yeah, wherever I April and I go, like our uh, our goal is always like finding something or it's it's always like rocks or shells or bugs or critters or something of some sort. Like up here, there's just tons and tons of different wildflowers. So like we spent all day, like the past couple of days, just like hiking around, but bend over at the waist, like looking at flowers yeah that's that's I mean, what cool. we decided is fun for us <laughs> yeah i mean everyone picks their thing when they uh in their 30s you gotta find some new things i mean yours is cool you, like so you have like this neat and like spirit about of like adventure where you'll just be like uh i have never been to this general area uh you'll like just land your finger on a spot on the map look for an airbnb and go somewhere new and find something interesting i've never done anything like that like i'll especially something impromptu or unplanned or anything like that. Like not that yours are unplanned, but you do a lot of fairly impromptu stuff. Like, you know, you're taking time off, but you don't really book your vacation until like what just shortly before you, like a couple days before you go. Sometimes this one was especially like that. Like most of the time I've got a pretty good idea of where we're going to go, but this time, yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. I just couldn't decide on a place. And if it was so hot, you know? Yeah. Like I did not want to go somewhere where it was going to be like 105 and just miserable. So I kind of wanted to wait to see what the weather was going to do. Yeah. There's well, part of that too here is that there's like so many interesting places you can road trip to from where we're at. So it's like, well, we could drive North to like Northern Minnesota, or we could go South to like New Mexico or Colorado or Utah Like there's just all sorts of places that are all in that like 10, 12 hour range. So they're all like viable options. Yeah. Most people don't consider something within a 10 or 12 hour range of viable. Like if you're pushing 10 or 12 hours, it's not like for some, uh, the most viable of options, unless you're going to be there for like a full week or something like that. I think that's part of living in the Midwest is like, you gotta be okay with driving (laughs) or you're just not going anywhere. (laughs) 
That's true. That's true. I'm like, if anything's over two hours here, it's like, that's far. Like I'm within an hour of so many things. Like I can get to the mountains in like an hour and a half, two hours. I can get to some cool cities. So then you start pushing that and like anything over three is like, we're going on a trip. Yeah. It's not like, it's like not much of a day trip either. Like it's like, if you're going, if I'm driving that far, I'm like, I better be spending the night somewhere. Yeah. It gets tough. If you're spending more than like five hours in the car in a day for like a, a day trip that gets the, the reward is just not there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What do you say? We got, uh, a long ish episode coming up. We had a great conversation with, um, with Karina Davis also, uh, maybe better known to uh, actually a lot of the people in our group here, especially who have like following us on the Instagram and stuff as, um, deconstructing black. And she also has the Instagram page deconstructing colors. And she gets into the difference between those pages and kind of just tells us about her story, her faith shifts. Um, and it was a, great conversation. It was a lot of fun talking to her and, you know, I, she's someone that we're looking forward to you know, having on again sometime. And, uh, you know, that we've kind of gotten her story out of the way, just kind of really get into some fun stuff about the differences between the types of Christianity we grew up in. And, uh, she's just a fun person, great personality. I, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with her again in the future. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think what I liked about Karina is just like the overall, she's just very positive and uh, there's just a lot of like kindness and love that is communicated in the message that she, that she brings. So it's, yeah, it's like, there's so much, there's so much to be done in, in terms of just pointing out some of the, some of the wrongs and stuff that have happened in the past or just bad teaching and stuff like that. But uh with with Karina, it just feels like um, like she really just wants people to uh, to get along and understand each other and love each other. And I, I just thought it was great. I really liked her. I think she's just a vibrant, warm person that was a ton of fun to talk to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so if you're listening, you know, obviously that's the only way you'd hear this. Uh, but just follow. Just give us a follow on the Instagram. Maybe uh, check us out on Twitter uh leave us a review uh somewhere wherever you can review your podcasts uh itunes i don't remember if it's called itunes or just apple podcast now did they they made that shift a little while ago but i don't use an iphone so it doesn't matter but leave us a review on apple podcasts or itunes or whatever it is i'm making myself sound older than i am by not knowing the difference and without further ado enjoy our conversation with karina davis aka deconstructing black Hey, everybody, we're back with our guest, Karina Davis, also known as and probably better known as uh, Deconstructing Black on Instagram and also uh, Deconstructing Colors. And we're going to have to get into the difference. between. Right, let's just let's start now. Let's start with that now. Why the second? Uh, why the second Instagram page? Well, um, I, I saw. OK, I saw two needs. I saw a need for information, but I didn't feel like one page could contain all of that um and i felt like because the information is so in depth it can or it can be in depth even one little post that i make and you know kind of like if, if if a person reads it the right way it could put them into tears you know because it's a it's a healing process when it comes to deconstructing 
Mm -hmm. And um, I figured deconstructing colors, I could focus on the information, um, getting cultural information out there, getting different belief systems, you know, information out there. Whereas deconstructing black is more so me just living as a person who's deconstructed already so that people can see, you know, life happens after you let go of the church, you'll be okay. You won't get struck by lightning. You know, this is what it looks like. I just wanted to have, you know, like a, a visual images, um, you know, something to show people, okay, yes, you can, you can go ahead, you can live, you can move on. Um, you can have a good full life and, um, kind of a marker. I, I know that when I was deconstructing, I didn't have those images. I literally had to work through all of that myself alone. And, um, you know, there wasn't anybody else around, um, mm -hmm. specifically, um, deconstructing black because as a black woman, um, that's a whole nother, you know, layer of that process. So, uh, I also wanted other black women, other black people, other people of color to know that they're not by themselves because in our communities, religion um, goes even deeper and has an even, uh, I guess, stronger hold than other mm -hmm. communities. Like it's easier. I, I've seen it so many times where I had a Christian white friend who would uh, let go of the faith or, or change their beliefs, you know, not necessarily let go completely sometimes, but be able to voice their opinions and everything. And nobody really, you know, gave them, you know, too much of a hard time about it. Not in the same sense as our community, because, um, you know, Jesus is everything. And there's a part of it for us where, um, you know, with civil rights and things of that nature that happened, you know, throughout our past up to now that carried us and the church was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So in a way, disrespecting the church is like disrespecting all of that legacy and everything. It's really, really mixed in and intertwined into our culture a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I haven't really thought a whole ton about that in the way that there's a, it really ties it in as a cultural component too. Um, and in a way that, you know, White people like to say this fun thing where we say, uh, we, we don't have culture, which, yeah, which oh. is, it's, I, I remember, uh, you know, voicing those thoughts at some point in my life and now looking back on it and cringing a little bit, but it is interesting to look at it because it's there. Religion is tied to it in like, I don't know, as just like your, I mean, even there's obviously something very culturally white about evangelicalism, um, in the United States, but it's not necessarily is I don't know. I, I guess it doesn't feel as tied uh, to our legacy or our history mm -hmm. or anything like that. So that's an interesting way to look at it. Why yeah. don't you, um, I, let's get to know you a little bit though. How did you grow up? What kind of religious environment did you grow up in denominationally speaking and, and kind of geographically? Oh gosh. I was in just about every denomination um, you could think of pretty much, except for Mormonism. I couldn't really, <laughs> well, I guess I wasn't allowed. <laughs> so <laughs> we call them a, we call them a problematic uh, uh, <laughs> beliefs that they've had to edit here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I noticed recently that they've been trying to uh, modify a few things, but um, I mean, ultimately, you know, how much of the the doctrine can you change and before it's no longer what it what it was? Um, but anyway, um, started out. Um, I would say maybe. Uh, 
Baptist, maybe started out Baptist, but Black Baptist is different than traditional Southern White Baptist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then um, went on to non-denominational churches, but because of the way we grew up, my mother very, very involved with the church. So anytime we went to church, we were part of ministry. We were not just, you know, sitting there going to church every Sunday. We were there at children's choir practice and um, on the worship team, on the drama team, uh, you know, just all involved and usually really close to leadership. My mom always knew the pastor of every church that we went to and personally knew the pastor's wife and things like that. We intermingled. We went to the pastor's house to eat dinner and stuff like that. So we were, when I say I was immersed completely in the faith, it was a hundred percent our lives every single day. Yeah. Um, You know, everything was a spirit, Um, you know, stop that lying spirit, you know, (laughs) Stop that shirt wrinkling spirit. The spirit of starch down upon this collar. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I just, that was the life. Every conversation could be turned into a a parable or something about um, a lesson that God was trying to teach you. Uh, Every conversation veered off into the faith aspect. And, um, a lot of it prevented, um, me and my siblings from being ourselves. A lot of the time we had to take on this personality of this, you know, righteous behavior, so to speak, and cover, you know, whoever it was that we were, you know, and, and finding that out for me was really, really lengthy and hard because, um, I definitely wanted to be good. I wanted to be a person who, followed the word of God. And I decided one day that I would get deeper into it. Now, at the time that I started deconstructing was when I was going to a church that was growing very, very quickly. Um, We started out in a little community center and um, we're feeding the homeless every Sunday. That's what we did. Um, We would have service um, and then immediately get to the kitchen, get everything ready, pack up the food and the homeless would be there and they would, you know, we would just feed them. And then that would be it. We never, we wouldn't proselytize them, but if they asked for prayer, we would pray with them, things like that. Um, And then on Saturdays, we would go out into the streets. You remember the way this was here, (laughs) the way world outreach, remember? Um, And we would go to um, uh, to basically go on out on the streets, knock, on people's doors and ask them what they needed. We never asked them to come to our church or anything like that. And I loved being a part of that. I felt like that is what the church was supposed to be doing. And, um, uh, you know, so I, of course, I mean, why wouldn't you want to be involved with something like that? Uh, So I, I remember going to different people's homes. Sometimes a person didn't have a refrigerator to put their food in. Uh, Sometimes you would go to their house and their lights were all out because the electric bill wasn't paid. Um, So what we would do is we would literally call any of our connections and get them a fridge that very day or get, you know, or help them by calling the electric company and paying the bill for them right then and there. To me, that's what the church is supposed to be doing. That's that. That's I mean, that seems absolutely. Um, no questioning. They weren't asking them, how are you living? They weren't asking if you were gay. They weren't asking, you know, um, 
you know, are you got, are you two shacking up and stuff like they didn't do that. However, um, what I did see after a while, the church grew really, really quickly. We ended up in another building, kept feeding the homeless. Then at that point, we were able to have Thanksgiving dinners and um, Christmas toy drives and things of that nature. So it got bigger and bigger. Moved to another building. Eventually had our yearly Stop the Violence event at the Orange Show in San Bernardino. It's a huge um, venue for different events. And um, we had... Um, what was his name? Uh, he was a basketball player, something green. His last name was Green, and he was on the Lakers. Oh, God. Not a basketball guy. We are not the people <laughs> to ask. I don't know why I can't think of him right now, because I met him twice, like personally and through my church. Oh, so yeah. um, anyway, um, he showed up there to give a little inspirational message. We gave away a car that year. <laughs> Wow. It, I mean, yeah, it got big, but it was beautiful because the, the family that we gave the car to, they needed it. They were literally, literally walking everywhere. And the um, people who got the car, you know, really deserved it, um, gave bikes away to kids that night and just, you know, all kinds of really cool things. Um, then we got moved into a bigger building. <laughs> wow. And um, it was harder for me to start going to church. That was when I was really reading my Bible, though, because I was like, something isn't linking for me right now. I don't know what it is or why, but it feels like we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. It started to look like Hillsong. It okay. started to look like uh, Elevation. And I was like, yeah, you know. They arrived. I, they yeah, arrived. I like, like the drama ministry. I like that our pastor is getting TV segments. And I like that. You know, we've got the equipment and the lighting and we've got these really cool uh, advertisement spots and things like that they put together that the media team puts together and, <laughs> you know, the media ministry, right? Everything's a ministry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. If you do it, you just put the word ministry afterwards you and it gets people to sign up. just put ministry word behind it. do it for God free. Is, God is right up in that. Yeah. All <laughs> up in it. Like a, you know what? I'm not going to go there, but... <laughs> <laughs> Use your imagination. No, <laughs> there was something about it that like uh, that just struck you wrong, or was it just something uneasy about the whole thing? Just the size and scope of it. Is that what was off-putting about it? What was off-putting about it was we kept getting these messages, you know, the inspirational things, and then I thought, well, this is great, you know, being on the drama team, but we were getting to a point where our leadership meetings were about. How can we get more people to come in and what can, what will they like? What will they enjoy seeing? And it was like, I, I didn't feel good about that. I was like, it seemed like entertainment after a while. And I didn't feel like I knew, personally, I felt like I didn't know enough about the Bible itself. I was like, I believe this, all of this, but why? Yeah. <laughs> and exactly what do I believe? And where did this book that I'm reading come from? And, you know, I, I noticed we weren't learning the fundamentals of what we said we believe. And I thought that was really out of place. I was like, that should be a foundational thing. And it should be something that's taught in the main sanctuary. It shouldn't be something that I have to go to a side class, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday nights, you know, yeah. to do. Like, this is something that we should be repeating every Sunday to get altar calls and things of that nature. We, we shouldn't be 
you know, the fog lights and the, you know, the newest worship song and, <laughs> and having Mary Mary come and perform and, you know, and stuff like that. I, I was just like, it just started to look ineffective to me. The other thing was I saw the same people going to the altar call. Yeah. Every, like same people. And I saw the same faces a lot of the time. And I was just, we're not really reaching anyone with this. On top of that, it started to feel like a chore, you know, being a part of the worship team. And I started being late, not on purpose, but it just started to not, it didn't fit anymore. Um, I started looking at the Bible and I realized, okay, well, the only thing that it says for us to do is go out at this point, because we're supposedly in the last days, is go out and make fishers men and, and, and make disciples. I didn't see that happening. I saw a lot of popularity. I saw a lot of people just showing up and listening to the music, listening to the message and going home. And I was like, if Jesus was coming back, even during that service, this is what got me. And we're not that we're not so urged to leave this church and literally go out in packs and start ministering to people. Then do we really believe this or is, is this, is this really the priority? Because we're talking about any, because I literally thought, we're talking about an eternal hell that you're telling me exists and that we'd end up in if we don't do something about it. So if that's the case, if a huge, like if eternity, not a few days, not a few months, never ending torment is going to happen to these people. Why is a, a another drama production important? The whole time we're filming all of this stuff for a drama production, we could be out there actually talking to people and getting them to, you know, to believe. Yeah. It's a, it, it becomes like a pitch almost. Cause it's like, you, you know, you're told that the stakes are so high, but you also, it's like, yeah. it gets weird That's because you maybe tell me, I don't, maybe let's see if you were kind of given a similar message is like, there was always that you need to plant seeds, right? But like, uh -huh. the, but the Holy Spirit is what's going to convict people, it, right? and that's what's going to like change people's lives. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't do it; that's all God. But it is on us to say something. So, like, it's kind of weird because then they'd also go ahead and at the same time be like, "Well, we need to kind of market this a little bit, right? You got to do this, uh -huh. like maybe the drama team or do this or that to get people in and make it palatable because you can't just knock on their doors and be like, "Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior?" And then like. <laughs> You can do that, but and but exactly. And, but if they are correct in that, it would be God that convicts or works in their lives after that seeds planted. Then that, then even mm -hmm. tracks, right? Tracks would be as effective mm -hmm. as your the, the drama team. So there was always that disconnect for me, which was like, yeah. okay, the stakes are really, really high, like eternally high. But we're doing this to try to like ease people into it, even though we're convinced that our God's name is so powerful that it's going to change people's lives if they hear about it. And it, it can't fit all that into the same fucking box after a while. See, nah. you needed a little more of Sam doc or Sam outreach style where it's like, just, <laughs> just poke holes in their doctrine. <laughs> uh, he he, he said, he saved souls that way. Uh -huh. Now see, after that though, I was like, okay, I need to find a church that is more focused on that because that's where my mind was. At. I knew 
at the same time, um, they weren't going to stop what they were doing or anything like that. I wasn't looking to concern myself with that. I was more so concerned with me living it the way I was supposed to. My aim was to be as close to God as possible and to do what I felt or what I knew for sure he wanted me to focus on. And so um, I started trying to find a church that was more focused on, uh, you know, proselytizing. I wanted to win souls to Christ. I wanted my life to really reflect it. I also wanted to know things that were really to me now, I mean, I'm like, it's elementary. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, your ABCs and one, two, threes, the things that you should know about your belief. You're handing over your eternal soul to this being and you should know this being like, nobody signs a house over to you, you know, without fully vetting you. So why can't I fully vet this God? He said, seek me and you'll find me. So there's no harm in that, right? I'm seeking him. So you know what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so and here I, we are. So I went and I looked at um, the first. I looked at the festivals, the holidays that we were supposed to be observing, and I noticed I was like, none of us observe any of this. Like the Bible literally tells you what days to remember and why. And I was like. Why aren't we doing this? Why are we concerned? We were so concerned about making sure that people weren't celebrating Halloween. And <laughs> yet we've completely forgot about the, you know, the the holidays that we are supposed to be remembering and celebrating and, and paying attention to, because that led me to look into the um, Hebrew origins, the uh, Jew the Jewish origin of Christianity and what it was really originally supposed to be. That's where I started. And I was like, okay, if I was, if I was from that nation, if I was from that area and I learned Christ, what would I actually have been doing, you know? And uh, how can I find out where they started so that we can get it to, to that? Because more than likely that's really the way we're supposed to be doing things. Um, so I started off with a, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church because I was like, uh, well, at least they're practicing the Sabbath, right? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I guess I'll start with these folks. But then I sat in a service and it was like, you know, the pastor was talking about, um, I think it was Palm Sunday or something like that. And he's played this film, more entertainment. <laughs> He played an excerpt of this Jesus film, and in the scene, the disciples were picking the tops of the wheat, and uh, of course, the clergyman of the time came forward and was like, hey, Jesus, they're breaking the law. Um, They're working on the Sabbath. They're picking wheat. And he was like, okay, uh, I am the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. And then I literally went like this. And I got up and I walked out <laughs> because it took me to another area in my deconstructing. Then I realized that um, it wasn't about a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was about him and his embodiment and his symbolism of what we were supposed to actually be trying to put out into the world. The energy that we were supposed to try to put out was non-judgment and recognizing our own flaws before anybody else's flaws and working from within instead of seeking for everything 
on the outside. You notice how Jesus never went to the clergyman for advice or information. Yeah. He was always asking questions. Answering questions with questions. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the vipers and, and serpents one. Oh my goodness. Yes. White sepulchers and all that. Yeah. Um <laughs> Uh, he, what did he say? He said they were um, empty white sepulchers, pretty on the outside, dead people on the inside. Yep. And uh, uh, I felt that way. I was just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I needed something substantial and I needed to know what I believed. So I looked into the origin of the Bible. Well, it was, you know, that's when I fell out the window. Yeah, basically. It, it didn't just and drop I, into our laps, did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I literally, it was a, uh, just, I always say that it was like falling into a, just a dark, uh, fall, just basically falling into just darkness and not knowing when you were going to land. Because one thing after the other, anything that I studied, anything that I looked into, um, whether it was you know, Protestant origins, whether it was Calvinism, whether it was, uh, you know, um, Hebrew Orthodox. I even looked into the Ethiopian practices and realized that uh, all of these 45,000 denominations of Christianity and nobody, nobody seems to be just looking at the book that they're talking and dissecting that in a way that's just, I don't know, it just was really ineffective. It was mind boggling. So I'm, I'm basically, I'm falling and falling and falling and falling. And then I start to grow wings. That's how I describe my deconstructing. Because once mm. I learned all of these different things about the fact that I didn't need to go into a church and find spirituality, the fact that um, all of these denominations don't agree because everybody's ego is in the way. Um, it was very freeing. It was very uh, easy for me to continue studying in a way that was like, you know, it was like a, a, a child, you know, in an aquarium. They, 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 for the first time, they're seeing sea animals up close and they, they just want to see everything they just they just they, let's go to the seals and let's go to the oh my gosh i see yeah. a whale let's go, yeah. let's go to the dolphin show that's how i was i was like oh okay so so this is this is where the bible came from i wasn't disappointed at that moment you know i was more so curious i was more curious because i was like okay now i can actually learn something um yeah. was it like uh did was there an element to it where you were like I don't, I, I don't have to feel bad about not feeling into this now. Like there's reasons that I'm like, there's good reason for me to, to scratch my head at some of this stuff. It's not just me being disenchanted with things that everybody else seems to be fine with, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was that it, it was a, you know, there was a, there's one thing that I was trying to do. I was trying to find proof of a, biblical character like unquestionable proof this i heard you talk on john steingard's show yeah, about this yeah. the kid steingard yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i 
that's all I want. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, uh, the, uh, the search led me to all of the other information that I learned about Nicaea, about, um, uh, Egyptian correlations, uh, to the biblical story, um, the, the, the variations of the Christ and things of that nature. So I, but I didn't find anything that said that he really existed without people saying possibly, maybe, or perhaps, or it is, it is assumed or it is believed. They use that language in these journals and articles and books. And I went to the library. I didn't Google, this is before Google got really on top of their shit. Like I was in a library looking up these books, okay? And finding out these things and putting my, I had my Bible here and then I would have um, uh, a a book about Hebrew origin here. (laughs) (laughs) And I would be comparing, I'd be reading and I'd be reading about the tradition of the Sabbath and I'd be reading and then I got to the, tra- the the belief about hell, and I was like, "Hell's not eternal." Wait, what? <laughs> I was like, "So we're not gonna burn forever?" What? Wait a minute. Wait, what? <laughs> um, so, I, man, I was, but I was looking for uh, David. I was looking for Moses. I was looking for um, any of the disciples. Then I said, "You know what? <laughs> if they can give me the guy that climbed the tree." I'll, I'll hang on to this stuff. I mean, come on, somebody, <laughs> show up, please. <laughs> I mean, it's a, so you're looking for like some sort of conclusive historical proof of one of the, the staple characters in the Bible, like knowing that somebody like King David existed in the same way that we know that Xerxes existed. Right, right. And they speculated about David. They're still not 100% sure if it's the David that is... Uh, you know, from the Bible, because there were a few Davids during that, you know, time span, okay, about a few hundred years span that they had, you know, there were different King Davids, and I was just like, okay. Um, and there's so much uh, myth, that, like, I mean, <laughs> and, and, which is fine, like, so I, I come from a perspective that says that's fine, um, yeah. but when you look at it, it's like, you know, him slaying Goliath like you can find two different two different stories in the Bible about who killed Goliath and it's like yeah which is because there's a tradition a Hebrew tradition that doesn't have David killing Goliath and that's but there's a Hebrew tradition that was why because they want to personify that character and and they they build a myth and a story around him and there's yeah it's likely that that was just kind of known at the time like so we get we're we're looking at that all these years later over a thousand years later and we're like that kind of that got lost in a long game of telephone but you really look at it's like no one no one was trying to like pull the like wool over anybody's eyes this wasn't like a big secret conspiracy that's why they left both stories there it wasn't like a trick yeah it's funny because this is like so that exact example came up recently so a friend of mine went to a very strange baptist church and uh he sent me his church's website so I'm looking through their website and it's all it's out there. It's and like one of the things that they went over was the fact that there's like 
they're they're talking about why the King James version is the only version of the Bible that anyone should read ever. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, we've all been there. They take it to a different level, but like they're comparing these stories from other the story of uh, David and Goliath in different translations, mm-hmm. and they bring up the fact that like some translations show show it as David in certain books he's killing Goliath's brother, mm-hmm. something or other, Craig or whatever his name was. <laughs> Well, and, Craig. <laughs> and then other, and the King James says, and, it, and they're like, the way that they tie it all together is they're like, we know for a fact, you know, in your heart of hearts that David killed Goliath and not Craig. So we can confirm that all these other translations are false. And it's like, what? Is that what you <laughs> gathered? <laughs> we can confirm. You notice how they use that language, though, that... That language that makes you think it's official. Yeah. You know, we can confirm, we've concluded, and uh, scientists have found, perhaps, you know, but they don't, and yes, they base it off of absolutely nothing. (laughs) Yeah. You ever heard of the podcast Hardcore History? I I don't. It's one of my favorites. And there's this one where he's talking about ancient Greek history and the Greeks and the Persians going head to head and... He's talking about he starts off this one episode talking about the story. You remember when uh, the the Lord gave over Israel to the Medes and the Persians? And there's that weird story where the the ghost hand appears and it writes the the symbolic words of meeny meeny eeny meeny mighty optep or something like that. <laughs> so he's telling this whole story and he's like telling it in this really, you know, just kind of in a like building to this crescendo. And the same night the Medes and the Persians invaded and took it over. And he finishes up. And he's like, no, none of that's real, but it paints a really great picture. <laughs> it just cracked me up the way that he did it. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, and, and the other thing I look for, was of course Noah, but it, you know that was kind of I don't know. You can't just, at least buy Noah. <sighs> yeah, it's somebody, anybody. I was like, there was a yeah. there was a woman who um, was a um, uh, what was it prostitute, and she uh, lied to uh, say Rahab? some of the uh, disciples. Yeah, yep, Rahab, and. Uh, I was hoping I'd find her because I, I thought that was pretty badass that she was in there, you know? Um, nope. Delilah. Oh. Nope. Somebody. Anybody. Nobody. I love how the story of Rahab, we're, we're all taught that as kids. Where Oh, they went. And these guys, they went there and they found this prostitute and she gave them all this information. You're like, you guys kind of all scared over the fact that the first person they found over there was a prostitute. <laughs> They were not having sex, but we'll just pretend that never happened. (laughs) Dude, the Bible's got several like noble prostitutes in it. (laughs) The Bible's got like several like uh, like glowing pick like stories about prostitutes in it, and then yet the church today is kind of crappy towards sex workers. (laughs) Oh no, they're 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 utterly cruel to them. Um, I have friends who are in that industry, and um, uh, one of the things that uh, they deal with quite a bit are, you know, evangelicals, you know, giving them the business because they're not pure. They're they and and it's defiling and some, their temple. 
Yes. And then sometimes it's the one who tries to, you know, I call them nasty nice because they, yeah, you don't get that. (laughs) Sweetheart, God loves you and you don't have to be this disgusting because he loves you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, hi, you don't know me. My name's Sam. And I just want to let you know, uh, you really, you don't have to do that with your body. I just want to let you know how precious you are to God and that he loves you. And, you know, you've, you've just got to trust that he's going to make a way for you. And you know what? (laughs) Yeah. Nah, nah, please. Mm -mm. This only fans account is making six figures. So if God can provide six figures. uh... And that's exactly what they say. They're like, Oh, really? (laughs) What? You gonna send me the pasta? God's over there, like (laughs) (laughs) looking for that OnlyFans replacement mana from the Lord. You know, speaking of prostitutes and pastors, that's who I ended up following for a little while. I ended up. (laughs) I ended up. I was gonna ask you about this. A prostitute pastor? (laughs) Yes, sort of. Yes, I started listening to somebody that I thought disappeared off of the face of the planet, but he seemed to have a handle on doctrine to me. I actually still have the Bible from his... Hold on, let me see. I hope you guys didn't get a close-up of a booger or anything. (laughs) Not recording video, so your boogers are secret. Yeah, here it is. It's, It's an incredible, incredibly... Like all of this red is his insight, basically. This, this now, is Jimmy Swagger. Swagger. Oh man, Jimmy! Jimmy came on came on TV. Oh, soon gets gold. <laughs> it's such a good apology. <laughs> and I just, you know that one, that Jimmy Swagger, um, who was caught in a hotel with a prostitute um, in the eighties. Uh, he was the epitome of uh, televangelism next to Jim Baker, basically. Yeah. I can't believe it. Jim Baker's still on TV. Yeah, he's, Jim Baker's he's slinging all, them he's buckets, still doing man. The same thing. He's wow. still pulling the same old bullshit. It's you know crazy. what? I can't wait. I, I want to see the fan, the um uh, uh what's his wife ex wife name Faye Faye the the the, bio, yeah. the the movie. Oh my god! Yes, it looks so good. I can't wait to see yeah. it. Like. Yeah, and and they say she was really, you know, an amazing woman, you know. And I was just like, I I don't know. I I never. I only remember the the eyelash. <laughs> so every time I saw her, I, I was like, boy, that lady wear a lot of makeup. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I started listening to him though because um, uh, he had you know he seemed to have a good handle on doctrine. Um, and I was like, you know, it makes sense for me to listen to somebody that's old school because they'd be a little closer than, you know, how it is now. You know, I kind of wanted to go back to that. They were still singing the hymns, those old hymns, you know, and I was just like, huh, I kind of missed that. Um, but ended up, you know, like I said, reading more. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to, now that I know the fundamentals of the doctrine, I need to know, you know, where this book came from. I need to go into, um, you know, etymology. I need to find out exactly what all of this is, uh, you know, the apologetics of everything, just everything. And, I, you know, I couldn't find any proof. And that was that's what it ended up boiling down to. Uh, so I started uh, just, I, I just stopped going to church. 
period, I uh, started to uh, look into other uh, belief systems and I found um, so many lies, <laughs> so many lies that I was told as a Christian, you know, that everything was demonic. Everything was of a demonic origin. Um, I even yeah. lost, um, I even, I even went into, uh, learning about Wicca. I learned about, um, uh, Yoruban culture, which is like Santeria and, um, those, um, beliefs. I learned about the, uh, Hindu, uh, religions. I learned about, uh, Buddhism. I love my Tao Te Ching. I, <laughs> I mean, and, and finding out that all of these things weren't as demonic was actually the thing that overshadowed any disappointment that I had in leaving my previous belief. Now, that's not to say that I wasn't, I was disappointed at one point. I was, because um, I was really hoping that I would find something, be able to substantiate my faith. Yeah. And it's a little know, lost to, process for sure. It, it, it takes you kind of on a roller coaster. Um, but once I started learning about these other beliefs, uh, I was like, you know, I, I'm good. It's okay. You know, I'm okay with um, not knowing things. It actually felt good not to act like I know everything. Yeah. And, uh, and that resonates with me. Same here. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. like, the, you know, you're taught, like, over and over again that, you know, there's the the truth will set you free being the line and they're like but the, the truth of jesus and then everything else is scary and dangerous and not freeing and then when you just let go of any idea that you can know anything it's like that's that's the freedom there the truth that yeah. we don't that i mean that we live in a postmodern world and you can't there's just not a lot that you can know for certain i mean even science what's funny is like you get to this point where when you when you realize that like you listen to any scientist like that popular science will reinterpret it and be like, we know for a fact that ABCD, but if you listen to a scientist talk about their work, they mm -hmm. it's always based on the evidence that we have. Our conclusion is this, and it's always open for reinvestigation, reinterpretation, right. like and nothing's really set in stone. It's just like, all you get to do in this world is look at all the information you have, make your best guess based on that mm -hmm. and learn as you go. And as you get new information, you may kind of like, recalibrate it's like but we were even taught that you can't ever you can't even absorb new information to recalibrate it's just like new information was evil or problematic mm -hmm. at best mm, that knowledge demon mm -hmm. yeah the you spirit of the spirit of <laughs> knowledge in the name of <laughs> what was it uh it was the what the karen from uh deconversion therapy wasn't it yeah they talked to her her, her pastor talked to her about <laughs> she had the 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 spirit, the spirit of intellectualism, of intellectualism <laughs> and they needed to deliver her from it. Just too many questions. Wow. You can either conclude, you can, it didn't work. <laughs> I think it's it funny, like, as you, as you start to really dig into some things, like, you know, cause the, your church was such the opposite of the community that I grew up in. Mm. Cause I think there's two things at play there, right? There's like, scripture doctrine and conviction on that level right and then there's a community aspect of church which you know both of those things can be good in moderation right your church was so heavy on community and you lacked on you know the doctrinal side of things right mine was all doctrine and scripture and they just 
you know, we didn't do anything for the surrounding community or the outside world. Like we were very big on missions because missions, you can write a check and send it and then you're done. You fulfilled your obligation. But like, we didn't do anything with the local community. Like church was to protect our little group from the outside world. The outside world was scary. And like people coming into our little community, you know, it was like hit them in the face with the Bible and if they're mm-hmm. still standing and still coming after we talk about all the things that are wrong with them, mm-hmm. like then they can join. Yeah. It's it, it's polar opposite wow. to what you're talking about, you know? Oh, but you know what? <laughs> like I said, I've been a part of just about every denomination, okay? And I've gone to a church like that before. And it got to a point where the pastor was so controlling, like it was it was mentally tolling on my mother. And um yeah, it, and on his wife, even the pastor's wife was going through illness, like physical illness because of the stress and the, um, you know, it's verbal abuse, basically. And um, he was very controlling his son, his adult son, and his wife was being controlled by him. Yeah. And I... Yes, it was about keeping everybody else outside out, you know, like, like controlling everything that happened there i was really young when it happened but i remember a lot um i remember one time his son coming into church and um i guess they prayed over they were praying over him and i remember his nose start to bleed at some points and i was like there is something wrong with this man like why aren't they taking him to the doctor and um he's he's throwing up and he's, you know, his nose is bleeding and he's just, you know, just a horrible, horrible mess. His wife is crying or fiance at the time. She was crying. And I was like, well, it felt eerie. It felt dark. And it just felt wrong. Smitten in the spirit, but like right in the nose. Uh, Right. Like the demons coming out of him. That's what they were saying. Like, oh, it's coming out. It's coming out. And Ooh, it was that like. That sounds sexual. <laughs> <laughs> you got to melt them demons out. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Quite, quite inappropriate. Oh, gosh. You know, when I, whenever I would get, when I would go to the altar and the pastor, of course, you know, would do that thing, you know, the, put their hand on your head and, and he, and it'd be a male, you know, and he'd be saying something like, take it, take it, take it, take it. And I'd be like, just don't sound hey. <laughs> That's what got Jimmy Swaggart in trouble. <laughs> and I'm like, take what? <laughs> I mean, in front of everybody? No. <laughs> congregation. I didn't think I was signing up for this. Now, now, see, I don't know if that happened in your church, but I know in black churches, we had this thing called shouting, okay? And you would start doing this kind of uh, double-step dance. I'm going to say right now, we did not do that in my church. Okay, yeah. We we stood with our hands to our sides. Uh, Oh, okay. We would occasionally get a... Yeah, hand up. Yeah. You know, there'd be like one person, two, maybe three. I don't know. Sounds yeah. pretty liberal to me. Yeah. Uh, ooh. <laughs> Shout! So shouting was like a dance. Yes, yes. Um, if you look it up on YouTube, I will look up praise. Look up. Look up the word praise break. 
phrase break. Um, and you'll see what I mean. It's But if you look up that, and then you look up uh, Vodun ceremony, mounting ceremony, it looks... Another very thing that sounds sexual. <laughs> this is like a problematic verbiage at your yeah. church. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> when a spirit, when a spirit, All right, line them up for the mounting ceremony. In the European culture, in the European culture, there is the Orishas, um, uh, you know, when they're practicing Ifa and things like that. Uh, in the ceremony, you have a specific symbolic spirit that mounts you. Okay. And it basically causes you to dance a certain type of way to indicate which spirit is, is making itself present. So um, it's, it's a very, very old tradition. Um, and uh, I realize in the black community, even in church, a lot of our African origin um, behaviors would come forward in, in every little thing that we do. Um, the singing. I don't know if you've heard a black choir sing, you know, when the woman is, you know, singing at the front, leading the choir, and she does all this belting and everything like that. If you look at African chanting and singing and the drums, it comes from that. (laughs) It literally comes from that. Mm. Um, I was, I'm reading this book and I share this book with everyone because I, I believe it's that pivotal, but it's called the religious um, instruction of the Negro in the United States. And it's literally a handbook on how to keep, uh, uh, Africans from, uh, continuing their own beliefs and exchanging those beliefs for the Christian evangelical, um, system. So, um, and it was a system. I was watching a documentary not too long ago too, that kind of correlated with this. And I was just like, wow, because they were talking about if George Washington was a Christian or not. He never fully professed it. He never said and came out flat out, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I believe Jesus Christ is How Lord. dare you? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Don't, Sorry. Nope. Don't you even <laughs> think of saying that about my Fuhrer Donald Trump. Yeah, there was a weird thing that I mean, well, they've been like a lot of the founding fathers kind of I mean, whether they were deists or or whatever. I mean, they've been almost recast as like these iconic Christian Christian characters. Yeah. Yeah. Like out to establish a Christian republic when in fact, like. And I don't really know how accurate that was. That's you what know? they were getting away from in, mo- in most sense. Yeah, Church of England. Well, I, I shouldn't say they specifically. Some of the, but... the, um, the script from, the, um, from it. And um, man, they went in to say, basically, that um, Adams and Jefferson believed that uh, the people should hold the place of God in government and obey only those things that are self-evident to their natural wisdom. So if it's provable, then, you know, basically believe it, right? Um, They both concluded that it was not possible to know God. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's not conclusive as to what what they actually held as a belief. That was just their view saying, okay, you know what? It's, it's really, they would just say, eh, it's whatever. (laughs) <laughs> you know? yeah. 
It, it sounds like a lot of these people today aren't super familiar with the Jefferson Bible. I don't know if they seem to have forgotten that was a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And um, what they were doing was, well, in the documentary, they said, and you know what floors me is that this documentary was on the Faith Channel. Interesting. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's, it's priceless. Um, <laughs> it was on this channel, and they said um, that the clergyman of the day came to George Washington and said, Hey, just say you're a Christian for us. Okay. Say you're a Christian because we want to have some political pull. So the origin of Christianity in this nation that's supposed to be a Christian nation stemmed from the desire to have political influence. Who would have thought? I mean, <laughs> what's more manipulative than uh, using God on everything? Yeah, uh, they, it, they it's crazy. That we, we get and it's funny because it did get to like it, I, I I don't have the exact time period at the front of my brain, but there was um, I, I mean prior to really the moral majority and mm-hmm. like the sixties going into the seventies, like there was a general, like uh, political app, not apathy amongst Christians, but like, it was really like, like they, they, they found no, there wasn't as much divide for one. Like the difference between political parties is a lot uh, smaller uh, at that point, but there was also just less of an interest in like dictation through politics and trying to figure that out. Like it, that really got sparked. Uh, mm-hmm. In, yeah. In the seventies particularly. And of course that was like riding off the coattails of other issues and mm-hmm. but it all stemmed back to political power. I mean, how do you mobilize people? Like fear generally. And uh you dangle that little hell stick in front of people and they're just like, Ooh, that's a little scary. Well mm-hmm. maybe I'll listen and, to what you say. And people were a lot about image back then too. I mean, what did you do but, you know, want to get into society and want to be able to marry into a family name and things of that nature. So saving face and building face was enormous. And I've learned, um, you know, in, in the process of deconstructing, you learn the reasons behind a lot of things that you were taught. Um, not only, I mean, of course, we can blanket it and say, okay, it was mainly about control. To, yes, yes, that was a, a big part of it. But there's so many nuances that come from that element of control and manipulation that make people um, react and, um, I guess, mold themselves into. They mold their images into this acceptable, um, you know, I don't know, avatar or something. Sure, uh, yeah you know, that, that, uh, people accept. And that's one of the things that happen in the black community is that religion helped us to kind of mold ourselves to be more acceptable to outsiders. Um, I found it many times where somebody was more comfortable with me when I told them that I was a Christian or that I was a worship leader, or, um, I was over the children's ministry and things of that nature. They would change their, um, their view of me instantly. Well, I, yeah, you you brought up on the uh, on John's podcast uh, just the idea that like in you know in, in slavery times like that might garner you more favor with uh, you know the 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 family you 
served or, you know, whatever, like the authoritarian structure there mm-hmm. might garner you more favor with them if, you know, you profess to be a Christian and you said the right things. And, and because of that, you know, it kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I never really thought about it that way, but that's. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, this the, we would be able to get by a little bit better if we told the slave master because that's what they were. They were, you know, they were they were considered masters. That's what they that's what we called them. And whenever they, you know, uh, would let us read, it was the Bible. <laughs> you know, it was, but you know, they gave the wrong person uh, the Bible when they gave it to Nat Turner. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, it, but. I, I found out that um, the saving face part um, goes into the reason why we're having such a problem with CRT right now. And um, that's critical race theory. If some of your folks aren't sure what I meant. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, I really hate that they just, they came up with that as a name for that yeah. uh they what's, always you know, seem what's it it's because it's like it's really i mean that's in full yeah. that's in all the conversations happening yeah, yeah. I, I wish they would have just said you know what we'd like to teach all of the history of america the good bad and the, let's not call it crt like why, why call it critical race theory um when this shit happened okay it happened we've got proof of it We've got repercussions from it that have been proven, uh, that have been studied, and that have been felt directly in, in the Black community and people of color um, as well, and also those in the LGBTQIA community. As you know, they they felt that that brunt as well. Um, so um, I feel like this: the message would be a lot clearer if people would be a lot more clear. And, <laughs> and, and, You've got people arguing against being knowledgeable and the people who are usually against being knowledgeable, being more knowledgeable, um, seem to be those who are the most ignorant. Yeah. And they have like a structure to protect. It it demands the most of them to change their minds about something perhaps too. And see, I'm pretty ignorant of a lot of this stuff. Like I hear the words critical race theory thrown around a lot lately, and Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about it. I know that it's a it's a a different history of the U.S. that I was taught in my Christian school books. Mm -hmm. But I think that part of the problem that we've got in the country right now is just an identity crisis in that, you know, it's it's not it's I think for, for growing up in that community you know, that the idea that the U.S. is not just like a good country or a place with good values or something like that, like the U.S. is almost taught. To, it's almost taught to you as like the U.S. is ordained by God. Like this is God's actualization of what, you know, Israel was supposed to be mm-hmm. like founded on the principles that that God lays out in the Bible and to to, you know, and they and they create like kind of a, a mythos around the founders as these just like almost un, inhuman characters that perfectly predicted the different things that, you know, future generations were going to face. And it's like, mm-hmm. 
when you're so bought into that, like, cause it's taught from you, you know, cradle to grave in those communities. Like it's just, I think it's just really hard for people to reevaluate those beliefs. It's almost harder for them to reevaluate those beliefs because they're closer to them than it is to reevaluate some of their understanding of Christianity or the Bible, what the Bible teaches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it takes precedent over their spiritual beliefs a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the reason that happens is, like I said, the origin of this nation was about um, political and, um, uh, you know, just it, it was all based on that under the guise of something else and because of that it's always going to come back to us it's always going to boomerang it will throw that thing back out there but it's always going to come back no you, you know um the 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 idea of this being a a godly you know christian nation and like you said the uh the hard part is separating them or or that they, or that they actually can accept one over the other. Uh, you're right because really they they still in a way connect it to uh, to this God ordained, you know, uh, uh, mentality. It's this idea that the the whole uh, the whole of the U.S. is 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 a God ordained thing. Um, I think that when it comes to critical race theory. People should talk more about what what they actually want taught in the schools, and that they want a um, you know I I see it as they just want all of the history to be taught instead of just a portion of it. Um, the sales pitch. Yeah, I feel that that's fair, but you see, I noticed that um, that happens in religion. You you do do that. You do put out the best side of it. And then when the nasty stuff comes out, it's like, oh, you know, you, you feel like, yeah, you know, that's going to come out eventually, but you're going to just deal with that later. Yeah. Just... And make excuses for it and yeah, call, it, yeah. call it fringe. And it's not what it's really all about or like, right, yeah. right. That's not our focus. You know, our focus is on just winning souls to Christ or our focus is on, you know, um, on, on this ministry. And our focus is on, you know, uh, um, you know, on love. They use that a lot, too. You know, I noticed that 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 change uh, maybe like in the mid 2000s. It was all it was a lot of, you know, we want to love on people. We want to love on people. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, uh, church verbiage is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and I don't know if I got those previous thoughts clear out clear enough. Um, it's probably because it's such a, a loaded thing. Yes. Yeah, there's I'm... just so much to it, so many layers to it. I think to, to narrow it down, though, is to say, look, you know what? We are who we are. Let's own, let's yeah. own the shit. Yeah. We had slaves. <laughs> We killed them. We sliced babies out of women's bellies. I'm sorry, but it's, you know, that's what happened. Okay. Um, and it, it, it's a reality of a community that holds it. July 4th for us, you got to know it's today. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you got to okay. know that as a black person, I will have to, I mean, unless I really want to live in a, a, a state of dissonance, I, I just, you know, I, 
I got to recognize the fact that my family were not included. They were certainly, they were certainly egged on to fight. They, they certainly were allowed to, you know, hold a gun or two, but they had to go back to mass after the war. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> I, 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 let's, let's own it. Come on, let's have respect for ourselves to own our shit, recognize it for what it was, recognize that these items, and this is what CRT theory is, is that what happened in the past created a ripple of effects in the community that was suffering during that time through that situation. So that's all that it is basically is saying, this is what's happening in our communities and why, if you hold back, think about it, you hold back, but let me see. Okay. Um, I don't know. Who has an uncle? Who still has an uncle? I got a couple. Okay. All right. How old's your uncle? Uh, at least 60 or older. Okay. I'll say 50, 54. Okay. Sounds nice. All right. All right. Around my parents' age, around my parents' age, um, my, my dad, I mean, you know, he lived during a time where the civil rights had not passed yet. They, they, the, any of the laws that were passed during that time frame were not in effect for him. So mm-hmm. he remembers colored water fountain, white water fountain. He remembers um, going to this place, but not going over there. Uh, he remembers being called the N-word, flat out, you know, walking down the street. He, he remembers all of these different things, okay? Um that's just a previous generation from me. Now, that means during that time, there was still separation. There was still things that my father could not have access to. This includes information. There was information that my community wasn't able to access because our books in school were so far back behind and you know, not you know, substantial. Um, there was uh, par- parts of the community that we couldn't be involved in to gain experiences that led us to uh, other areas of success. And this was the majority. There are people who were able to be successful during that time. Don't get me wrong. Um, but when you have a vast majority not succeeding, you have to ask, wait, what's going on here? Why? But immediately it gets blanketed. It's because they're black or it's because you know, because of course, during that time, when Negroes shouldn't be allowed to do that, you know, lots of people weren't in support of our success. You got to understand mm-hmm. those who made success during that time were going against all odds. Okay. They were not in an environment where everybody was rooting for them, where the majority was still hoping that they failed and failed miserably. Yeah. So um, there were instances where <laughs> if, Again, if they were successful, they can only go so far. So if you have generations, hundreds of years of people being held back from acquiring land, acquiring businesses to pass down to their kids, um, acquiring access to certain schools and education and information, okay, acquiring uh, the ability to be in certain circles that give them influence, Okay, um, where they're they might be in that circle, but behind closed doors, everybody from that circle is talking about them. You know, like oh, we ain't letting him do that. You know, you know what I mean, like that. Um, there have been many grassroots organizations that I've been a part of, lots of churches specifically that would 
try to stop violence in our neighborhoods, that would try to uh, get drugs out of our neighborhoods. But anytime we would get to a point of progress, there was somebody outside of our community in a position of power to help us get to that next level, okay? That would actually provide us with real change. Now, if you're looking at someplace like Chicago, right? Every person's favorite example when they're trying to show you why certain things can't change or won't work. I mean, really, the only thing that's happening there is that um, leadership, you know, doesn't think that it's important to create equal, you know, contribution to certain neighborhoods. When that happens, when investment doesn't go into these neighborhoods, the neighborhood next to them that's doing well is complaining about them, but they are not complaining about the right thing. They're not going to their, their leadership and saying, well, wait a minute, why are we doing well? And they aren't. Oh, immediately they make assumptions instead of going and saying, well, <laughs> did, did we not, did we take a look that they don't have an olive garden? Okay. That they don't, they don't have the cheesecake factory in their neighborhood. Why? You know, they don't have, uh, you know, the same schools, you know, that we ha they don't have the equipment that our schools have. Where's their budget going? What's happening? You know, so it's like they're not putting the two and the two together. Um, they're just going by assumptions and they're assuming that these neighborhoods don't want these things when it's the complete opposite. Um, <laughs> you know, black people don't like crime just as much as anybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's. It... You know, I, I mean, we don't like getting robbed. You know, we, we really don't. Um, uh, if somebody commits a crime, we don't. Even a I've, I've known criminals, and they're like, you know what? If I did it, I did it. Mm, oh well. You know, I get locked up. That's that's on me. You know, I, majority of them I know. There's some of them that are really, really, you know, just you know they. They, they really need to be locked up. But there's some of them, you know, majority of them were like, you know what, I, I, I'll pay for my, my wrongdoing. I, I don't have a problem with that. What we have a problem with is that you've got people outside of our community making assumptions about us and not respecting our humanity. I lived, uh, so I, before I moved to Kansas, I lived in Michigan and I lived about 20 minutes south of Flint which of course, like right after I left, that's when the news hit about the water and all of that stuff. And I mean, there's so many different situations there where mm -hmm. like what you're saying applies, you know, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of assumptions made about like, well, you know, people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get a job and blah, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. and, and like you go into these neighborhoods and they're not all black. Like there's, there's white neighborhoods like Burton south of Flint is a is a predominantly white neighborhood that's in the same situation, you know, as a lot of those like there's no businesses there mm -hmm. and there like there is no place to get a job. There's no place to get groceries like everything requires you to travel out of that neighborhood to do it. Mm -hmm. And in a city like Flint, there's, you know, there's very little public transportation. There's, there's so many things that, that isolate those communities. And, and it's just, I, it's got to feel like a hopeless situation for the, for the people who live there. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, especially in a place like Michigan where it's bankrupt anyways, you know, like 100% of the time that I lived there, it was all about like, how do we cut the budget? How do we, you know, what can we trim out to try to, you know, rectify the state's financial situation? Meanwhile, you've got major companies like GM, you know, that has been a, a lifeline to those cities for forever. And they're moving plants out of the state and to different countries, all of that kind of stuff. And I know that that argument has been co-opted by bad actors to some extent, but it's just like, man, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. It's so hard to put your to put your finger on like ways to help those communities. So like what, you know, what oh, is it I, that you well, lobby for 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 communities like that? Because there's so many around the U.S. that like, you know, they need resources. Right. And that's the thing. Um, when I was part of these grassroots organizations, um, they would, you know, have the fervor. They would have the gusto, but they didn't have the funding. They also didn't have anybody that was, um, oh gosh, you know, there, there's always so much to lose, you know, when we go to people who are, you know, who have that influence, um, they'll, we'll come across somebody who has some influence and be able to do something about it or take us, you know, a bit further in our cause, but they, you know, they, they, for instance, um, it was a church in LA. Um, we were trying to uh, get the building redone, and um, wanted to, the pastor wanted to start a uh, community center for kids in that area, which was desperately, desperately needed. Um, lots of shootings, lots of horrible things going on in the, that area, and it would definitely made a huge difference if he could have, you know, done that. So we had somebody who was of influence. Um, met them because um, one of um, gosh, uh, the choir actually sang for a, uh, charity, I guess the Lily Claire foundation or something like that, um, at a celebrity fundraiser. And I guess he made some connections, you know, during that time, you know, and, uh, uh, the person said, okay, you know, I'm going to talk to my people. I'm going to talk to these people. And he talked to the people, but unfortunately, you know, they weren't interested. They weren't interested in helping because, um, I, I suppose that they feel it's a lost cause, but it's like, how it's like do you, there's nothing to gain for them. Like they don't have, what is it? Do you think it has anything to do with something more get glamorous to throw money at? Right. Right. And, um, uh, very unfortunate, you know, um, of course the community center never got built. <laughs> uh, but, um, there are so many parts to it, but the main thing is actually, if people would just listen to our community, we've been trying to tell you what's going on. Uh, we use rap music. You know, your kids started listening to White it. White people they... don't like that. So maybe find a different avenue, please. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Do you have any country western? Have you ever listened to Sean Hannity talk about rap music? <laughs> it's very clear that there's uh, not connecting. The message is no, not no, of connecting. No, of course not. Of course not. Um, but, I mean, it's what... I've I mean, it's what we know, you know, that ways to get our information out there to let people know, hey, this is happening to us. This is happening in our communities way too much. And for the, oh, I don't know, past century, nobody's been listening. Nobody's been listening to us. We haven't really seen any change. And um, what I'd like to see is 
for um, all Americans, you know, to see those neighborhoods as part of America. They seem to forget that this is happening in your country that you say it's supposed to be free and, you know, people are supposed to be, you know, having some form of, you know, success or, or you know, or even decent living, you know. Um, why isn't that inner city considered your neighborhood? Why isn't it considered part of your country? You said this is your country, right? And if it's your country, then Chicago is your city. And there are people shooting each other in your city. Um, then, uh, you know, South LA is your, your, your town. That's your town. That's your America. That's California. And California is a Western state in the US. So if you see your community and not our country, our country, you, you know, I, it, it, it floored me. I was just like, huh, you know, when they were storming the Capitol, I heard a lot of, this is our, our land. This is our land. Is it, is it our land or is it yours? I don't think they were talking about you guys. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard for them to empathize when you don't have an olive garden. Well, here's the thing. I have some conservative friends, and here's what they tell me about this situation. They're like, well, if black people would let go of the race thing, but dear, you handed us the race thing. Yeah, you know? maybe but white I, people should let go of that's like you know, I you shoved it in our take it off our applications, our job application. Um, you know, take it if you really think that getting rid of, you know, color um uh, allocation is going to help, then you go ahead and do that and see if we treat each other differently after that. Go ahead. <laughs> you, I, you know what? You I think let's see if that'll work. Let's let's so pretend I'm not black. With uh Lil Nas X <laughs> doing country and then he just went too gay and just fucked the whole thing up. You got he could have brought him along. He, he could have moved him over or not. You had just one missionary. Flame. So I imagine the black community is pretty mad at Lil Nas X right now for not just wearing the goddamn cowboy hat for at least one more record. Oh my gosh! No, you know I. Oh my goodness! You, and, and, and I, you know, I, I mean, I, I'd like to do that. I like. However, I, I actually like. I like the way I look. It's a part of me. Um, it makes me um, who I am. Um, I'm a rose. You're a daisy. You're a tulip. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. We need, you know, the 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 differences and the diversity to make our, our curious lives, you know, more interesting and fun. That's how I see it. I see us as a field of flowers. We're all in the same doggone field. You know, we're all in the same dirt. And yet we color that field so beautifully and we'd color it if we would just, you know, if somebody would just stop coming and snipping all the flowers down, you know, <laughs> like just stop, just stop. Don't snip. You don't, you don't do that to a field of flowers. You don't say, you know, oh, let's burn the field and then we don't have to worry about racism anymore. No, you look at those flowers, you admire them, you learn about them. You learn that tulips need different watering than, you know, roses. Okay. All right. Let's accept that. Let's accept the fact that, um, you know, daisies don't need as much sun as a rose does. Okay. Nothing wrong with 
that? What's wrong with me saying my neighborhood is hurting? Hey, look, come on over here and help us out. Stop complaining about it and telling us about some doggone bootstraps. Give us some, first of all, <laughs> give us some damn boots. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? Isn't that what Martin said? He said, how can you tell? It, it, it's very, very uh, misleading to tell someone and very, very disheartening to tell someone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but they don't have boots. Yeah. They don't have straps to pull. And um, if if Candace Owens can do it, you can do it, too. <laughs> oh, you know what? And I know you've been widely criticized for your endorsement of Candace Owens. <laughs> I know. So. I, you know what? I, 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 you know what? I'm confused by her message. I'm confused. Um, one moment she's, you know, of course, uh, you know, it, spewing the ills of our community, which is good. I mean, then, you know, people know this is happening in our communities. But the other side of it is um, the the information that she's putting out there. I, I never really hear any solutions except for stop voting Democrat. Um, you need if there's anything. You need more solutions me, than that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. That, that's the only solution that, that, that they're looking for. And I, I'm guessing it's because she has possibly gained an understanding of how uh, politics works in, in a way. And yes, it's there. And yes, you do have to influence those who take those positions so that they can side with you and do what you hope that they will do. But more than likely, it's not going to happen because there's always opposition and there's always the arguing back and forth in the aisles. Um, I really wish that she would just keep it really simple and say, Hey, look, let's, um, let's start over here in this community and everybody, you know, set we're we're raising money for this particular community and we're going to get them to a point over the next, um, two to three years to a certain, you know, to a certain level, then we'll move on to the next area. Then we'll move on to the, and we're actually going to work on their infrastructure. We're going to work on their schools. We're going to work on um, building the community centers that they need. We're going to work with the police. We're going to create a task force there to work with the police department to get crime, you know, um, uh, you know, somewhat under control because crime's always going to be here. Um, but um, you know, to do the to to actually do those things, I. I'm in a position where I, I just don't think um, as a politician, uh, you can actually do that. Um, what you can do as a politician is influence people, but you're not actually out there in the city doing the work. Right. I, I, that's how I feel about it. I, I think um, she's, uh, you know, kind of running a hamster wheel with it. That, that's how I feel about that. I, I just think she's running the hamster wheel and I, I don't have a, I, I did have, you know, my thoughts about her previously, but um, now I just, you know, she's, she's kind of confusing because it just seems like she's feeding the monster in a way. Like she's just kind of, uh, you, you know, <laughs> just, just want, I don't know. It, it seems like everybody that's a, that's a talking head wants everybody to argue with each other instead of just saying, hey, uh, well, what do we need right now? What can we actually do? 
instead they're all preaching at you this is what you need to do and this is what we've got to do and not really looking at the information at hand uh you know not looking at these statistics that they're throwing out there and saying how can we get this statistic down to five percent instead of 12. you know they're not doing that they're just saying you know 80 percent of black men are in jail and it's like uh, you know i uh, we know yes. that already it's we like... know my brother's there <laughs> i mean what, what what are we gonna do about it yeah it's great i mean it, part of it just feels when you're looking at it as like when it comes to news or politics like news is obviously just i don't want to be as it's I, think it's, I think there's more to it than just they're trying to make money there's others other things going on there but like if you're talking yeah. news you're talking politics and it's like it's it's beneficial for political parties to name problems and then blame somebody for them and, mm-hmm. and, and then just give quick like vote for me and i'll start fixing it like if you can just tie the problem to a party then you can yeah. win an election and then you can pretend you're going to do something about it and you kind of just see those tactics being played out nonstop. The right. news is a different beast. Uh, there's a lot of money involved in that, but you know, there's that, obviously- that's why I'm saying I'm confused by you know folks like Candace Owens. Um, there's another one. He's a it's a male. It's a guy, and he says a lot of stuff. And I'm like, okay, um, so then what's your premise? What's your purpose? What exactly are you aiming for? What kind of conclusion are you uh, trying to, you know, bring forward. I, I don't understand. Um, so it makes me, it can only make you think. Yeah. It like all lacks a mission statement. That there really isn't one that you're mm-hmm. not really trying to go for a solution. You're just, I don't know. Yeah. I, it just, it just makes it seem like, um, the, like I said, the hamster wheel. Yeah. That's another you motive there. Self busy, you know? And, um, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, I don't really, um, uh, like like solid judgment on um, people that I don't know personally. I just only look at, you know, from from my view, I just kind of look at you and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm figuring it out. But I, I don't see anything substantial or useful to me or my community. I just, I don't see anything useful to my community when it comes to those talking heads. I just see, um, you know, I see uh, the... The two popular girls in the cafeteria, you know, arguing over that boyfriend, you know, that they had, you know, last semester. Like, Yo, he's, he's, he called me again, you know. Okay. All right. And I'm just watching them and I'm like, hmm. Okay. But you're both being played. So why, why bother? It's <laughs> a much healthier way to look at it than throwing a brick through your television, which I think I is what said- most of America is doing <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> is that what we're doing now? I don't know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I don't have news. I, I get my information from other people. And um, I guess, you know, if somebody that I've, that I've um, followed on Instagram, if they post something, then I know about it. When it comes to my community, I stay up on that. But um, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, <laughs> I don't really watch the news because it's, I know it's not news. It's, you know, talking about like artists and stuff like that, like who are some of your favorite voices that are that are sp- like speaking truth in some of those areas? 
Oh, wow. Somebody that most people probably have no idea about. Um, his name is David Banner, and he was a rapper, still a rapper. Um, and yeah. um, he has a organization that he started. Uh, he's, um, yeah, you know, heavily involved with, um, you know, everything possible to elevate the black community and uh, get us into a, a stronger position um, as a community so that we can contribute to um, our communities in a way that heals it and um, builds it up. So I definitely admire him. I actually met him uh, one time um, at the airport in Denver, Colorado. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of those and random he, airport meetings. Yeah. You know what? I always see celebrities at airports. I, it, there's never been a time. Steve Harvey brought me an ice cream at no the Georgia airport. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Gene Simmons once, and he is a huge, hulking, ugly man. <laughs> <laughs> He's crazy, though. He says some crazy stuff in the past. I caught, I mean, and makes I, bad I, music. I, <laughs> 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 you know, but, I, I don't know. I just. Yeah, I, but there, his aesthetic, I, I always like when he, you know, did that thing, you know. Yeah, David Banner. Um, who else? Uh, you know what? Because I was in the entertainment industry, I just don't really, I don't look, look at celebrities like that per se. The things that I admire about celebrities is their art, their work. You know, I, I always, you know, like, you know, things about their um, their craft and admire that because I, I can see the work. You know, I can like see their their journey and what they had to do to do a certain role or things like because I, like, I can feel that. Um, but as far as influencing the community, I don't really rely on that. I really don't. That's probably a good policy. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I mean, you know, I, I it's nice to have. Um, because I, I've seen it where like Lady Gaga, well, you know what, let, let me take that back. Recently, I've been watching Lady Gaga and she is one hell of a girl. Like I, I admire her. Um, she took the time, um, to educate herself and start communicating with people outside of herself and just learn. And, um, I saw this interview that she did with um oh beatrice i think it was um the bernice king bernice bernice king yeah i knew it was i knew it was dr king's daughter and i was just like oh my gosh what a spirit she has in her i really really just like when i looked at her speaking in that interview um i kind of saw a spark in her and i was just like I, you know, I like that, that she's, she's trying, she is actually trying. And, um, to see moments like that, you know, it's hopeful, it's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, Her platform's that, huge. And using yeah. that to elevate a voice like Bernice Kings is really awesome mm -hmm. too. Yes, absolutely. It's incredible that a voice like Bernice King needs elevation though. No I mean, shit, right? That's she's true. Fucking Dr. King's daughter, and nobody. I'm, I'm a, I'm recent to following her. It's like whole, 
Lee shit. How the fuck has she flown under the radar in this country? It's because, like I was saying, it's because people, we have separated ourselves from each other. It's not the media. You know, although the, the media, unfortunately, um, reinforces all of that. It's a, I know we were talking about the church earlier, how certain churches will um, cut people off because they immediately um, tell you that, you know, outside of here is just evil, just pure evil, right? So there's that, that separation there. I think the same thing happens in general society where we Absolutely, already have yeah. these ideas of one another and we immediately just put up this wall. And, um, uh, you know, I thought about the witnessing thing. You know, we used, uh, you know, sideways ways to get people to come into church with the drama team, you know, and, and the worship team and concerts and things of that nature. And we do it in general. We sidestep or, you know, crab walk to each other and then we go right back, you know, into the ocean. Like we just kind of, we don't really open up to each other. And that's usually the core of the problem is that we literally look at our phone and we say, oh my God, look at how awful people are. And then we go about our business in our home. And we don't walk outside and we don't talk to a person and say, hey, how do you feel about what I, I just read this? How do you feel about that? Like at the very least, you know, do that part. But we don't even do that. We just take that and we say, oh, my God, that's it. That's that's what's happening in the world. That's how those people are. That's how things are. And instead of saying, you know what, let me. Let me invite my neighbor to the barbecue and we talk and, 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 and we actually have a conversation about it. You know, this, this thing about us not recognizing that we are um, we're together. We, we're here. Gravity's got us all feet on the ground. You know, we're breathing the air. We're under the same sun, the same moon. And we're all over here arguing with each other for what? And that's, that goes back to my goal is togetherness, making sure that people know, you know, deconstructing colors is going to be a page where I'm talking about other cultures, other backgrounds, other religions, uh, history now, you know, current things. Um, so people are just flat out informed and I'm doing it. I'm, I want to do it in a way where people start having conversations with each other. Um, I don't know if you guys saw my post about Shikari uh, and how I, in the caption, encourage people to stop, close their eyes, and actually think about the question that I was asking them. Is it okay for a Black woman to express herself emotionally? Do you feel uncomfortable when that happens? I'm an animated person. I know I am. It's in my blood, though, honey. It's what we do. You know, we are animated people. We're colorful. We like to project. You know, we use our hands to talk like Italians. <laughs> you know, we, we, that's, that's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the stereotype. I'm sorry. I'm married to one. <laughs> um, we, 
you know, we dance, we see, we love, you know, we love to laugh. We, we, we're extra, you know, we will wear bright colors. We'll be the loud one in the room. Yes. Sometimes some of us are not that way though. We're not a monolith mm -hmm. and um, people will know that if they recognize we're in the same space as you, we're human. We are human. And yes, I should be able to, as a black woman, be able to express myself without you being like, oh, calm down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not acting. I'm not reacting any different than you if you actually look at me. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing at the time is really you're feeling as though you have to defend yourself against me. You have to ask yourself, why? You've got to ask yourself why. And if you don't ask yourself why, you're you're going to stay closed off and we won't be able to recognize that we're all in this together. Um, I see that the more I talk about that, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a hard message to get across. That's funny to me. It's like, it's, it's crazy to me even um, that I can talk about the controversy of the day and get everyone's attention. But when I start talking about, hey, let's connect, it's who they clam up um, or they just kind of, they kind of, you know, glaze over it or pass by it completely or look the other way uh, or they'll, you know, hit the heart, but they won't comment. You know what I mean? They won't engage, they won't get involved. And I'm urging everybody to just get involved with each other, get involved. And don't expect the work of getting involved to be easy. Mm -hmm. These are hundreds of years of separation that we have to work on. Um, hundreds of years of walls built up um, from other human beings and humanity and recognizing humanity, <laughs> you know, recognizing life in each other. And that's my hope. You know, that's the kind of work that I'm, you know, into nowadays. I just feel like if we would just, you know, stop long enough uh, to look each other in the face, you know, and talk to each other, we'll get so far. Yeah. America really is an amazing country. It's a fascinating place. And the idea and the concept of people actually being able to be free to be themselves, novel. I'm more than novel. It's, it's, in, it's an incredible endeavor. It's such an adventure. And for us to take it, we're really taking it for granted with the way we treat each other. We're taking for granted the opportunity that we could have something so, for lack of better words, miraculous. Sure. <laughs> that... Uh, you know, wrapped up in all of these different nuances. I really just hope that everybody lets it go like Elsa. <laughs> so I, I think what's ironic is, you know, what you're calling, uh, calling out is, is, you know, as having those conversations, speaking to each other, getting to know each other and not taking this country, like not taking any of that for granted, like not, and by, in fact, not taking our country for granted. There's so much conversation right now about like, um, about kind of like this dumb patriotism where it's just like this blind support of the status quo and what it works for you. Therefore it should work for everybody else. And, you know, it, 
I, what I hear you saying is like that, that that's, that's what's obvious. That's what's taking America for granted that, that, but to not take it for granted is to have those conversations that to be patriotic is to listen to the criticisms and, and hear each other's stories because. Yeah. I mean, when you're married, you know, and your, your spouse comes to you with an issue, you're, I mean, what happens when you ignore that shit? <laughs> you know what I mean? You really can't have a happy household. Not truly. You know, you, you, you can't progress as a couple or as a family if you're not having that communication and that openness with each other and that understanding, you know, some compromise, not compromising yourself as a person, but compromising for making room for one another, making space for each other. And, um, you know, it gave me another thought about the taking, you know, things for granted is that I feel like, you know what, um, you know, black folks, we can take things for granted. You know, we, we, we definitely have a lot of complaints. We do. Um, I would say uh, 99.8 of them are valid. Um, but I, I noticed that people outside of our community are missing out too. And uh, taking for granted the fact that we're no longer separate we don't have to follow segregation laws. So white people, black people, Asian people, we can, we can communicate with one another. We can mingle with each other. We can have fun together. We can cry together. We can do all of these different things that weren't allowed before. I mean, I mean, look at it this way. Y'all was imprisoned too. You were, you know, your ancestors were just were imprisoned in a different way. You know, you were, uh, deprived of really embracing and enriching yourselves with other cultures. It, earlier, you guys were like, the joke is, you know, white people ain't got no culture. Why? You guys could have every culture if it wasn't so much, let's take over this culture and eradicate it and erase it. What would have happened if the colonizer said, Oh, let's learn from these Indians and see if we can incorporate those practices and show a appreciation and admiration for it and use some of that to enrich everybody's life. You know, why, yeah. what, what would we be right now if, <laughs> you know, I, and I don't know if you've seen this documentary, but um, it's called High on the Hog and it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on. But it told you the origin of um, African roots and how um, the African diaspora that came over for, you know, from slavery affected um, America's food supply and um, how people cook nowadays. It was so enlightening. <laughs> I saw the preview for that, actually. Oh, it's incredible. And it actually teared me up because it was so it was for me as a black person, it was beautiful to know that we had such uh, an impact on food nowadays. If you look at just about everything that is just yummy, tasty and just, you know, bad for your arteries, <laughs> <laughs> but good for like your taste buds. That was us. Like we, it, it, a lot of the, a lot of that came from uh, some of the foods that my ancestors, you know, put together and pieced together from the scraps, basically. 
And to see that, I was just like, wow. And on top of that, us growing the food supply for America, us working the fields and, and, and creating, you know, ways to make better harvests. And I was just like, wow. And then they had, oh, you guys got to watch this. You got to watch it. Because when they got to the part about the black cowboys, I was so done. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. It was amazing. I was like, we, we were, I mean, there were cowboys. Like I knew of that, but, um, they were able to go into the history of it and exactly what it means to them now. And it was just beautiful. So I highly recommend that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and the things that we miss out on among each other, I, that's how I view it. So I have to say, if anybody is apprehensive about, you know, stepping out of their comfort zone, just start thinking about the things you might go FOMO, you know? Yeah. I think there's I a, that. there's a misconception among people who are very isolated from other cultures. And, and I say this as someone who, who definitely was, and maybe is still is to some extent. I mean, I'm fully ingrained in pasty America, but you know, you like a lot of what you're saying is great because like from a historical standpoint, like it doesn't have to cost you your American pride or your pride in your nation or, or its history or whatever to recognize like the shortcomings that it's had in the past. Like the principles are what's important, right? Like the principles right. of freedom and and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and stuff. Like, could we work towards a fuller adaptation and realization of those principles? Like that would be the best, right? For everybody. So I like mean, you can keep perfect. your pride yeah. and still recognize that like, hey, we've got some areas where this isn't happening yet. Like let's make sure that this is, that this really is what we say it is, right? That it that the 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 actual thing is representative of the promotional brochure, yeah, like the Bible, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, it it is what it is, it's, <laughs> and and yes, that that is what I mean. Is that um, learning, growing together? It just makes us stronger and, and richer. It really does. And um, the good with the bad, the fact is, is we had a really tumultuous past. Very, very much so. But as we move forward, we've been improving it. We've been making the changes slowly, but surely. And we can be proud of that, too. We mm -hmm. can. We can. You know, we can definitely be proud. of. I'm a very objective person. You know, I, I can understand, you know, why a conservative person and I put personhood on them because I don't I don't see that. You know, I just see your thoughts. You think a certain way and you think conservatively um, or liberally. The, the bottom line is looking at things from both sides and just accepting it for what it is. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that and embracing the opportunity to really learn from it in a real way, you know, not a, um, you know, not a way where everything is covered by these illusions and, and I, ideas of grandeur and, and just, you know, just 
sugar coating and, and slathering icing on everything. I mean, you know, I just, we don't have to do that. This is a great country. It really is. And it could be greater. We're, we're, we were always all about greater. We were always about how can we make this better? How can we improve this? We, I mean, America is, I mean, you you put the word innovation in the dictionary, you put the America right there in the, in the picture, okay? It's, it's what we do. So, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, that, I mean, who, America did that from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> they went way out of their comfort zone, all the way to another continent, you know? And I just think if that's possible, then anything's possible. Yeah. Is it, and that's, that's supposedly the American dream, right? Is that anything is possible. So, you know, to me, that's why I'm at a place of, uh, you know what, looking at things to enjoy, li- living life, um, deconstructing black, you're going to see me, um, you know, just living my best life. And not because everything is sunshine and rainbows over here, because like I said, I'm still fighting for my brother's freedom. But, um, you know, I, I started the page, you know, to encourage others in their journey to go ahead and live and enjoy and, you know, find peace, strength, whatever it is that they need um, so that they can, um, you know, still have a full life with or without a a spiritual, you know, uh, practice. Sure. You know, and um, Deconstructing Colors is going to be about, uh, you know, forwarding those questions uh, that create dialogue and uh, introspection and insight so that um, they can continue to do the inner work through their deconstructing journey. So you can live, enjoy life, (laughs) <laughs> but also have a balance. And I, I'm, if there's anything that I've learned from Dao is that you want to make sure that you accept things as they are and always have that equilibrium, always have a center. And um, yeah. Yeah. I, no, <laughs> that, I, I love one. it. I love it. I think it's great. It's been really fun following you, uh, getting to kind of see your journey through that. It's been Awesome talking to you tonight. Thanks so much for yeah, hanging out thank with us. You. I knew this would be fun. Yeah. We were very I thought y'all were naughtier than this though. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> like y'all were kind of PG on me tonight. Nah, like. nah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. We'll have to we'll have to do it again sometime and just really I would let, cut loose. See, I would now we got your story out of the way. We got the serious stuff out of the way. And uh next time we'll just let the penis jokes make fly. penis jokes. Yep. Talk about all losing our virginity later in life. Talk about all. <laughs> I can tell you about the Japanese beetles fucking in our front yard. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I, Even not, that, nothing makes me more excited than beetles fucking. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Look, we don't kink shame on this podcast either. So we can just let that lie. We'll close yes. with that. I think that's a great place to end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Karina, thanks so much. Uh, looking forward to just staying in touch here, following you. you on your uh, Instagram pages and kind of directing as many people as we can towards them. So, yeah. thank you. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.